Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 60. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for letting us have two weeks off. Oh, thank you guys so much for sticking with us and still listening to the podcast. You guys are awesome. How was your two weeks, Jen? Pretty good. I worked through the whole thing. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> I know it was just more a vacation for me to go on vacation, but... But you were at a beautiful lake. I was. I was actually at two beautiful weeks. lakes. Oh, yeah? Uh, We went to this place called Douglas Lake that we'd never been to. I just found this Airbnb, and it was cheap. And I was like, I don't care where I'm going. I'm just going to go somewhere. And it ended up being amazing. It's so beautiful. Like, you can see the Smokies from the lake. It was so gorgeous. So that first week, it was just me and Max and Ben. And then the second week, we always go to Dr. Dude Fuck's family lake house in the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we couldn't do that this year because – uh, you know, because she has older parents and we just were concerned for their health and safety. They both, her dad is having surgery. So we just were like, oh, wow. So we actually ended up renting a lake house, Grace, her family, and Aaron and her family on the same lake. And it was great. And us, all the kids played together and we ended up getting to see her family just kind of from a distance. We went to oh. their dock. We took a boat over to their dock and, um, and it was great. It was just a really wonderful two weeks of time away that I just desperately needed. (laughs) That's awesome. Your pictures look amazing. And even though you've been gone for two weeks, I feel like I've been with you because I just read – you guys, Sally, I think we've talked about this before, but she wrote a book. I wrote a book. She just finished it. I wrote a draft of a book. (laughs) I wrote a first draft of a book. That's a book. A really long, like year, 10 years. So I didn't just, yeah. Well, but yes, I did. I finally finished it. And, and I sent it to Jen. And I and read she graciously it. graciously read it. From cover to cover, or it was on the computer. So, like, yeah. from screen to screen, <laughs> whole thing in two days. I couldn't stop reading it. It's so fucking good, you guys. I can't wait for this book to get published and for everyone to read it. And I, I'm not just saying this because Sally is my friend. I am not that nice. <laughs> the book, Don't believe it. She'd I've say been it telling anyway. everybody about how much I love this book and it's, it's so good and I can't wait. And now I, and I, I immediately made Sally send me pictures of everybody that's in the book because I wanted to see it. And all the major players are there. We've got Sally. We've got Ben. We've got Dr. Dudefuck. We've got <laughs> all these amazing people in the book. And it's it's so good. I can't say I, enough thank you. things. It like, was so affirming to be like, okay, I'm sending it to someone who isn't a part of the hiking. Like, you know, Ben right. has read it, read some of it. Aaron's read some of it. It was so nice of you to read it and be like, you're – I mean – you're not, you haven't hiked the trail, so you don't know the places I'm talking about and the the process of it. And so I'm just glad that it made sense to you and you liked it. And it made me feel excited to like try to get it out there and maybe get it published. I don't know. It's if any of you are in publishing published. or have published a book, hit me up. Let me know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wrote it. Now we what? need to get this book to the masses immediately. Yeah. Thank you. Immediately. Should yes. we get into our quickies? Yeah, you are starting. Hey, Jen. 
Hey, Sally, I got a quickie for you. It's a sweet one. Okay. Okay, so this is from an article on Distractify by Robin Zlotnick, and this is a quickie about loving our kids just as they are. A woman named Love Gwaltney and her family who live in Ohio through this incredible gender reveal party. Did you have a gender reveal party? No. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I didn't think you did, but I also was like, I shouldn't say anything about them until <laughs> until I find out if Jen did. I find out Jen did. I don't, yeah, no. Okay. Do you do you? Is what yeah. I say. Do whatever makes you any do- reason to throw a party, throw a party. Exactly. Just don't ask everybody to give you gifts. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So she posted about it on Facebook. So the post read, boy or girl, and then it has pictures of her and uh, her partner and they're dressed in blue and pink and he has her hands on her pregnant belly and they're looking very in love. And there's like a cake with a blue and pink question mark on top, kind of, you know, very typical gender reveal kind of pictures. And then they had, there's this like giant cardboard box in the background and then they they put a video up you see someone come out of it and all the balloons come out and you realize like this isn't just a ordinary gender reveal celebration it was actually for her for gray who is love's 17 year old non-binary trans masculine son oh wow yeah so she said love said in her facebook post she said the first thing we wonder about when we get pregnant is it a boy or a girl we throw parties we pick out names and most of the time that works out perfectly fine but sometimes we force these expected characteristics based off biological sex and gasp we've gotten it wrong and so she said we wanted to announce that we got it wrong 17 years ago when we told the world we were having a little girl and named that child Mackenzie." So we'd like to introduce our son, Gray. He's much like any other 17-year-old nerdy boy, stays up way too late gaming, hates showering, eats too much junk food. (laughs) She said, we will be referring to Gray with he, him pronouns from here on out, but he told us that he doesn't mind if you also use they, them. So then she also wrote, the colors of the balloons we chose for Gray match the non-binary pride flag and the cake layers are those that represent transgender bodies for those of you who are wondering and no we're not buying him a lifted truck but yes we will buy him some new clothes love told today that she was like you know the more we talked about it the more excited that he got about doing this gender reveal because he was nervous about telling family members like Mm -hmm. his grandmother you know and so they decided they actually did it through this facebook post the family took it really well oh that's great yeah and then of course this post which is just beautiful went viral she's gotten countless heartwarming messages some heartbreaking some hateful but um, mostly just very supportive and she says that she wants to urge other parents of trans and binary kids to be supportive of their child and not see their coming out as a loss of any kind she said you're not losing a daughter or a son they're just evolving into the best version of themselves My husband and I have a saying, we'd rather support our kids no matter what, and they later change their mind, than to not support them and have to spend the rest of our lives knowing we failed them. So what is it? I love that. And what a great great? idea. And that's such a great idea for people, you know, going forward that are trying to figure out how to be there for their children. Yeah. It's – the pictures are beautiful. Like really, you know, just amazing and and hilarious and just like what a way to be like – we celebrate this. Like we got it wrong and we are now like supporting our kid no matter what. I love it. That's so awesome. I love yeah. that. 
Good yeah. one, dude. Thanks, uh, dude. Man, mine is not that nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so my quickie uh, this week comes from uh, an article for New Center, Maine, and it was written by Chelsea Bard in Hopkinton, Massachusetts. Do you know? No, I don't. Me neither. Couple Mariel Kinney, 32, and uh, 30-year-old Kevin Pinto were just out on this street called Hayden Rose Street, just walking their dog, which was a medium-sized black dog named Lucy. They were just walking their dog, minding their fucking business, and then all of a sudden, the cops showed up to arrest them. Okay. Why? Why would they want to arrest this couple just walking their dog early in the morning? Well, it's because Mariel and Kevin were completely nude. <laughs> they were nakes walking down the street and their neighbors saw it and called the police um, and according to police chief Joseph Bennett um, Bennett, Joseph Bennett I don't know who I am uh, he said it was kind of wild it wasn't the typical day in Hopkinton that's for sure, they were buck naked <laughs> So when they tried to ask the couple if they were all right and why they didn't have clothes, uh-huh. both uh, Kenny and Pinto said that they didn't want to answer. And then they started, they were answering incoherently. Ah, and then yeah. all of a sudden during questioning, the couple yelled and cursed at the officers and then took off running. <laughs> Sorry. According Naked. To- <laughs> Naked. According to Bennett, he said there was a short foot pursuit. Both ran when they were told they were going to be arrested. So this all happened at 6.30 a.m., by the way. Um, okay. And so the police eventually caught up with the couple who um, struggled violently. And apparently Pinto struck officer several times with the heel of his palm. And Kenny also struck officer. So, oh, my God, how would you like to be the police officers trying to... Rassle this naked, naked couple that's fighting you violently. He said that he was grateful that no one was seriously injured in this very volatile situation. Um, so the couple was arrested and they were charged with indecent exposure, assault, and battery on a police officer, disturbing the peace, disorderly conduct, and resisting arrest. But the police chief Bennett did want to add about the dog that was involved in the situation uh-huh. that she's a very good dog <laughs> you want to let the, them know but also in the um what's so funny is in the picture on the article there's like a picture of this like adorable dog rolling around on the ground and underneath it it said editors note the above photo is a stock photo and not of the actual dog in the story <laughs> They are protecting the identity oh. of this medium-sized black dog named Lucy. Yeah. Could Very be anybody. Good dog. Yeah. Very so. good dog. Oh, that's my oh quickie. My I got to know. I, get, I mean, I guess it's just – there's no – It's the explanation is drugs, right? Like, that's the explanation. Probably. No, I mean, probably. honestly, if they weren't violent and cursing and running and they were just like, just going for a walk. Like, it's maybe just they thing. just – yeah, but because they were so violent and incoherent, I'm going to say drugs, probably. 
I'm going to say drugs. Sounds pretty methy to me. <laughs> sounds a little meth to me. <laughs> I'm going to call it, Jen. It's meth. <laughs> Good oh, call. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. I got a crazy story for you today. I've been waiting two full weeks. I know you have, for and this crazy story. I hope this pays off. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of those series that we love where it's from the San Francisco Chronicle by a writer named Evan Cernofsky. Like 10 and, times? Yes. And so oh, he has right followed it from the very beginning through every crazy twist and turn, and he's a great writer and, and very clear, and I loved – so all, ev- all of my information is from this source. I also found an article in the Huff- Huffington Post. You case. didn't even have to watch a Snapped. I didn't even have to watch a snapped. I That's didn't. Incredible. Okay, so <clears throat> I I'm wondering if you if you remember the story because it happened not that long ago, and I actually remember this. And I'm going to tell you the beginning how I remember it, and then I'll tell you more. Okay. Okay. So, okay, on the afternoon of Monday, March 23rd, 2015, the police in Vallejo, California, get a call from a man named Aaron Quinn. So he tells the police that his girlfriend, Denise Huskins, had been kidnapped. He tells police that a man or possibly multiple people had broken into his home on Mare Island around 3 a.m. the night before where he and Denise slept. He said the man threatened them with a gun. He made them tie each other up and then he drugged them. Aaron says the man forced Aaron to listen to instructions on headphones, which told him to get money, about $17,000 in ransom, mm-hmm. and then wait for instructions. And then the man then the man took Denise and Aaron passed out from the drugs. And then Aaron told police that he had just come to that later that morning when he called the police. So Aaron was brought into the police station and investigators quickly felt like something was off. They were like, your story is so crazy. They thought that he might have killed Denise and was making the whole thing up to cover up their tracks. Wow. So the Vallejo police interrogated Aaron for hours. They took his phone and clothing. They extracted blood samples and they gave him a polygraph test. They told him while they were interrogating him that they didn't want to hear anything about these so-called intruders that they knew (gasps) that he had really killed Denise. Oh, wow. And then on Tuesday, so this was Monday, on Tuesday, March 24th, the San Francisco Chronicle gets an email from an anonymous person claiming that they're holding Denise. And the person wrote that Denise will be safely returned on Wednesday. We'll send a link to her location after she's been dropped off. She will be in good health and safe while she waits. Any advance on us or our associates will create a dangerous situation for Denise. Wait until she is recovered and then proceed how you will. We will be ready. The email had an audio what file. The fuck? Yeah. So the email had an audio file of a woman identifying herself as Denise Huskins. She, to verify she was alive, she referred to things in the news like there had been a plane crash that day in the Alps in southern France. And so the recording said, My name is Denise Huskins. I'm kidnapped. Otherwise, I'm fine. Earlier today, there was a plane crash in the Alps and 158 people died. And then to prove she was who she said she was, she said, the first concert I attended was Blink-182 and Bad Religion. She was 29 at the time. So she's like, man, Blink-182. Hey, I listen to Blink-182. Me too. But like the old stuff, like Cheshire Cat. I mean, Blink-182 and 
bad religion. That's pretty. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that's her first concert. Yeah. It made me feel old. Chronicle sent the recording immediately to police, and then they played it for Denise's dad, who confirmed that was his daughter. So police now know that Denise is alive, but they believe that the phone call was all part of a hoax. Really? Then, yeah. Then the next day, police get another call. And Denise Huskins had shown up in Huntington Beach near her mother's house. She went to a neighbor's house and they they called the police and her parents. She told police that the man who had kidnapped and raped her, when Aaron hadn't responded to calls for ransom, had driven her down to Orange County, which is like hours away. So Southern California versus Northern California, where she had been kidnapped and released her. And so now police are like, oh, Aaron and Denise, they're in this together and that they had abandoned whatever kind of scheme they had cooked up when this media attention grew because of course there was like a huge media circus around this because Aaron and Denise are two very attractive, very white, upper crusty looking young people. Mm -hmm. Like they look like they're cast out of a movie. So then after Denise came back, Vallejo police Lieutenant Kenny Park called a news conference and he said, Today, there's no evidence to support the claims that this was a stranger abduction or an abduction at all. Given the facts that have been presented thus far, this appears to have been an orchestrated event and not a kidnapping. He then said that Denise had promised to meet with Vallejo police and that the FBI had even arranged for a jet to bring her back to Northern California for an interview, but that she had retained an attorney and police now didn't know where she was. Police said that Denise and Aaron were no longer considered victims or witnesses and that if evidence showed that they had committed a criminal act, the Vallejo police will request either state or federal charges. He then said that from the beginning, the police had had trouble believing Aaron's statement. And mm-hmm. he said that Aaron's recounting of the kidnapping was such an incredible story. We initially had a hard time believing it. And upon further investigations, we're not able to substantiate any of the things he was saying. He said that Aaron had stopped cooperating with the investigation. And then he noted that search crews around the region had been searching for Denise. And he said that they hadn't found anything and that this is a tremendous amount of resources that, in my opinion, was wasted. He said that Aaron and Denise have plundered valuable resources away from our community, have taken the focus away from true victims of our community, while instilling fear amongst our community members. So if anything, Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins owe this community an apology. And a law enforcement official told one of Denise's lawyers to go watch the film Gone Girl if they wanted to understand the police theory of the case. Wow. Once Denise was back, police dropped all investigation, and though they denied it, Aaron and Denise were hounded by the press for cooking up an elaborate and bizarre kidnapping hoax. So mm. that's how that's how I remember this case happening, like that there was this gorgeous blonde white girl who faked <laughs> her own kidnapping and sexual assault, and that it was all just like revealed in this huge press conference by the police because that's how it was covered on the news like right and you look at these people and you want to hate them because they're like they look rich they look yeah they look the part that you're like okay and you also it's also it's so much easier to swallow these beautiful people are being assholes versus oh my god the this horrific thing happened to this, this couple horrific- and nobody knows where this guy is yeah you know yep so so that's how it was covered in the news, right? 
But Mm -hmm. what actually happened was, of course, both more bizarre and more horrifying. So that happened in March of 2015. And then on June 5th of 2015, there was a home invasion robbery at a home in Dublin, California, which is also in the Bay Area. And just like Aaron and Denise had claimed, the man, a man woke up the residents by pointing a gun with a laser pointer and a flashlight taped onto it at this them. Sounds like the Golden State Killers MO. I mean, it may have been a I don't copycat know. or something. Yeah, maybe it have been a copycat. Yeah. Listen, so I've when, been watching a lot of All Be Gone in the Jar. Have you? I know. Saying. I was gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything about it, but I believe you. <laughs> uh, the man woke up by pointing this gun at them. The resident fought off the invader and the guy fled but left behind a cell phone. When police investigated, they were able to connect the cell phone to a man named Matthew Muller. And Muller was a former Harvard-educated immigration attorney and Marine who had been disbarred in California in 2015. And they find Muller at his parents' vacation home in South Lake Tahoe. And in that house, they found a laptop that belonged to Aaron Quinn. And Aaron had reported that it was stolen the night that Denise was kidnapped. And then they found another cell phone in Mueller's car. And on that phone, they found a photo that the kidnapper had sent to the San Francisco Chronicle. The car's navigation system turned up the address where Denise had been left in Huntington Beach. Holy shit. And detectives found a pair of goggles that had a long blonde hair in it, the same color as Denise's hair. And the goggles were similar to those that Denise and Aaron said they had been forced to wear. They were like blacked out during the kidnapping. So Mueller was arrested for home invasion and then also charged with Denise's kidnapping and rape. And so it turns out Aaron and Denise have been telling the truth about the whole, whole ordeal and no one had believed them. So here is what actually happened. Here is the the full story. Oh, my um, gosh. I so, can't imagine, like, going through something like that and then having, like, the police being like, no, it didn't, and fuck you. Yeah. Can you our imagine? Time. And then there being a press conference to be like, look at these fuck faces yep. who are, are wasting your tax money. Holy shit. Yeah. And oh then and can you imagine, being like, being kidnapped, being raped, being kept you know kept somewhere two days and then being returned and then like thinking okay it's over but then immediately being a suspect like that is so nuts and they're like the police were like well she didn't cooperate it's like yeah because you immediately were questioning her not yeah and telling you you didn't believe her and you told him that you didn't believe him from the jump yeah so okay so here's what happened so On the night of March 23rd, Aaron and Denise were startled awake by a flashing strobe light and red laser pointer that were attached to what they said looked like a gun, but actually turned out to be a black water gun. Whoa. So a man dressed in a black wetsuit made Denise bind Aaron with zip ties before the stranger, who we now know was Muller, tied her up, and then they dragged the two of them to a closet. So there he put on those blacked out swim goggles over their eyes. And then he put on headphones on their ears, and it had a recording of a robotic voice giving instructions. And Aaron said, my hope was that they were stealing my TV and valuables, but I was afraid this was going to get worse. And then his fears were realized when the attacker demanded passwords to electronic equipment like his phones and computers and threatened to shock Denise and cut her face if Aaron did not comply. Oh, my God. 
And the man knew Aaron's name and information about his finances and where his family lived. And then Aaron and Denise were forced to drink from these bottles um, that turned out to be a cocktail of NyQuil and diazepam, which is what he drugged them with as this man rifled through the home. So then Mueller placed Aaron downstairs on his living room couch and then set up a video camera to monitor him. And he outlined a perimeter in tape and said, you can't leave here. If you, I'm going to be watching you. If you leave here or call the police, I will know. And so then he took Denise out Aaron's car, put her in the trunk and they left. And Aaron said he struggled to stay awake, but then passed out from the drugs And then when he woke up that morning, he said he didn't know what to do because he had gotten instructions from Mueller that said, withdraw two payments of $8,500 to be left at an undisclosed drop site. So he didn't call the police immediately. He called his brother, who was an FBI agent, who told him to call the police immediately. And Aaron said, I took a moment to call because I thought I was killing Denise by calling because he's like, I'm on this video camera. He knows if I called the police, he said he would kill her. But then he said he decided he had no other choice. Then, as you know, as I said before, Vallejo police immediately began questioning Aaron as a suspect. They took his phone away, and that was the phone that the kidnapper, Mueller, had been repeatedly calling. Oh, my God. But they set it to airplane mode. So while the phone was off, Mueller called his phone twice And then when the phone was switched back on, police found the two calls. They traced the calls to a burner phone that had been purchased from a Target. And then when they went to go view the surveillance video, they saw images of a man buying the phone. And investigators also traced those calls to uh, South Lake Tahoe, which is where Mueller's house was. But police at the time believed that the man on the camera might have been Aaron or an accomplice. So they just were like... Didn't even... Didn't even look into who this other person was. Holy yes. shit. And the fact that, like, while Aaron was at the police station, while they thought that Denise was dead, someone was calling his phone that was off. So it's not like he could have called his own phone. Yeah. And they just were like, whatever. So as a story, as Aaron was being questioned and evidence, including that email that came to the Chronicle that had Denise's voice on it, all of that was being dismissed. Denise was living a horror story. Mueller had switched vehicles after stealing Aaron's car, and he put Denise into another car. Then they drove, and Denise says she recalled hearing what sounded like a two-lane highway. She was trying to stay awake but couldn't because she was drugged. They eventually got to Mueller's home in South Lake Tahoe, and he opened the trunk and light flooded in. He tried to remove her, and as she was still blindfolded, she was like limp. She was in pain. But he dropped her on the ground and fell on top of her. He then dragged her toward the house, left her on the ground outside the house, and went inside where she could hear him scrubbing a bathroom. Oh, my God. And Denise said, I thought this was going to be one of those situations you see in horror films and TV shows, things you don't think will ever happen to you. I thought he was cleaning the bloody remains of a prior victim or and getting the house ready for me. Oh, my God. So then he took Denise inside. He forced her to shower and then took her to her bedroom where she was held for the next two days. And at one point, 
he said that his co-conspirators were forcing him to record them having sex so that if she went to the authorities, they could post the video on the internet. And Denise says, I just thought, of course, of course this is going to happen. Oh, no. And then a day later, the kid never came back to say the video was not believable as consensual sex. And so then he raped her again. And Denise said she thought, I can't control any of this. I'm helpless. I'm drugged. And she, the only thing she can control was she said, I'm not going to let him see me cry. I wasn't going to let him see me be hysterical. So when he took her to a bathroom, she says she remembers sitting in the tub and just like not really breathing, just crying and trying to take this moment to just like let myself go. Oh, no. And then she pulled herself together so that she wouldn't he wouldn't see her phased wow but then, what strength i know okay the news was huge of her disappearance but Mueller showed her an article of her, that had a quote of her father saying stay strong and then she said at that point i felt like he broke me oh no so thinking that she was probably going to be killed denise said she started thinking okay how can i get a weapon and so she was like, maybe a wine glass, maybe something sharp, right? So she's starting to think about how can she get out of this? But then Mueller says, there's too much attention on this. I'm going to release you. I'm taking you to your hometown of Huntington Beach in Orange County to avoid this media attention. So he woke her up at 2 a.m. the next morning. He put her in the reclined front seat of the car, gave her another dose of sedatives, and then drove. He drove for hours as she was like, fading in and out of consciousness. She was still certain she was going to be killed. But then he got her to her old neighborhood near her mother's house and then released her. And that is when a neighbor called the police who arrived and took her statement. Mm -hmm. So after the press conference, when Vallejo police said that Aaron and Denise were lying, Mueller, who was still, you know, out and doing whatever, became incensed because he was like, I'm I'm real. I'm not being given credit for this kidnapping. So he started sending emails. Oh, my God. Proof of his deeds to the Chronicle. So pictures of like not just items he'd taken from Denise's home, but also from other home invasions and sexual assaults that were unsolved around the Bay Area. Wow. Oh, my God. That's crazy that it's in the Bay Area, too, because that's where the right? State Killer was. So after he was arrested for that June 2015 home invasion, he was charged with that charge and then also with kidnapping of Denise. So he eventually pled guilty a year later in federal court to her kidnapping, and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. But of course, that's not the very end of the story. Oh, so um, after he pled guilty in federal court, he then sought to have his conviction overturned because he said he had ineffective assistance of counsel. It hasn't been overturned, but he is still he's still trying to get it overturned. Mm -hmm. But he was also brought up on charges in state court for two charges of rape, kidnapping for ransom, false imprisonment, burglary, burglary and robbery. And there was an initial hearing held in February of 2019. And he decided that he wanted to act as his own attorney of because remember he was he a Harvard educated attorney. And behind him in the courtroom sat his new wife, a woman who <gasps> met him and married him while he was in jail. Ay, ay, ay. And she said, no matter what, everyone deserves a fair trial. I hope people will learn that he is not, that what he did is not who he really is. Okay. So both, I know. Both Denise and Aaron testified at that hearing. And although he could have at that hearing, Mueller did not cross-examine him. But they testified about the whole ordeal and the case is set for trial but you guessed it, it has been postponed due to coronavirus. Oh, my God. 
So Vallejo police eventually apologized privately to Denise and Aaron. No, publicly, bitch. No, privately. In a letter. Not even in person. In a letter. Um, And Denise and Aaron are are now married. Um, But Vallejo police have never made a public statement about the case or about their press conference. But Denise and Aaron actually won a $2.5 million settlement against the city a couple years ago. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, not enough, but... But that's it. That's that's the end of my story. There's a lot Man. more a lot more details I just couldn't get to. So go read if I were a whole them, series in the San Francisco Chronicle by Aaron Cernofsky. Wow. If I were them, I would take that apology letter and publish it publicly right? in the San Francisco Chronicle. I wonder if part of their settlement was, was that they, they weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to do that. And okay. actually, Aaron and Denise have both never spoken out publicly about mm-hmm. any of this it's all any any quotes are all through their lawyer or from what they testified during that hearing that initial mm-hmm. hearing about whether or not this guy could stand trial and so they're very private people and i think that's probably also a lot of why the press press and public wanted to believe that they had made this whole thing up because they're not out they're not they're very reserved police said oh whether well, she wasn't acting like a kidnapping or rape victim it's like right. well, what the fuck does that mean oh my god so anyway it's 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 crazy and so mishandled and awful and but um i hope that they are able to move on with their lives and move past yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you have a good story uh i do i'm not gonna (laughs) lie there's some negative things in the story but it it ends in happy town we'll go to happy town at the end all right Um, i'm ready to go to happy town okay please take Um, me there I will take you there. <laughs> this week's love story comes from a bunch of different sources. One from an article written for BBC World Service by Vibik Venema, mm-hmm. and um, a Time article written by Sam Bloom, and then also Sam Bloom's website, and then an article for coastbeat.com by Yvette Harper. And then a really great podcast that I found with an interview with this couple um, called No Filter by Mia Friedman, which is Australian. All right. Oh, I bet you loved it. I love it. You know I love an Australian (laughs) accent. Okay. So this this love story is a little different. This is not just your typical love story. This is a love story about not only the love of a husband and wife, but the love of their children and a little bird named Penguin. Okay. Yeah. I love it. So Sam and Cameron Bloom were childhood sweethearts, married and living out their dream life on the northern beaches of Sydney, Australia. Sounds beautiful. It does um, sound so beautiful. Their friends referred to them as um, two peas in a pod, even though Cameron was very extroverted and was like very talkative in the life of the party. And Sam was more reserved, but they said that she had a kindness that you can spot from a mile away. You know, just like a very sweet person. And they both were super adventurous, outdoorsy, well-traveled. They loved to travel. Cameron was a photographer and Sam was a nurse, which was her dream job. And 
when they weren't working, they spent all of their time with their three young boys, Ollie, Ruben, and Noah, just on the beaches in Sydney, just like, you know, they would go running, swimming, biking, surfing. They very active family. Sounds and lovely. Yeah, their world was picture perfect. And then in 2013, you know, being that they love to travel, they were excited to take their boys on their big first family holiday, which is a vacation for you Americans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they went on their first big holiday in Thailand, where they were staying in a tiny village on the Gulf of Thailand. That first morning that they were there, they swam in the sea for a few hours and, um, they went and got some fresh papaya juice, and then they decided to go drink their juice on – or I'm sorry, the hotel had a two-story observation deck. So they decided to go, why not drink our juice up there and get a you know nice view of the area? Mm-hmm. So they went up there, and everything looked just beautiful. It was like nothing but beauty and serenity for miles and just the most breathtaking view. But today, if you ask Sam, she would tell you that – that was a view that she wishes that she never saw. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, Sam had uh, leaned against the safety barrier that ran across the observation deck, and the barrier just fell away from the deck, and she <gasps> fell with it, falling onto tiles 20 feet below. Oh, my God. So the Royal Thai police eventually investigated and f- later found that the barrier was completely rotten and com- criminally neglected. So, you know, she thought she was just safely leaning on this thing, but it, it, it couldn't hold her at all. So, Jen, you know, this is my worst nightmare. Is it? I'm so afraid of Ugh. heights and I, but mostly of like things like that, like a rotten yeah, piece like of wood and. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. And so Cameron, her husband, heard this like ear piercing crash and he turns around and he doesn't see Sam. He sees that she's gone. And but when he ran over and looked down, he saw the most horrific sight that will be forever ingrained in his mind. There lay Sam, her his wife, um, with her body mangled 20 feet below. He ran down to help her and hoped to God that his boys weren't witnessing their mother in the state. You know, he just kept saying on the interview on the podcast, he kept saying that he kept thinking in his head, please, somebody take my boys, take my boys. And, you know, even though they didn't know anybody there, but he said that when he turned around, the kids were right by his side, just completely in shock. And one of the boys vomited and the other boy, like, and another boy just said, is mommy still alive? he could see that she was barely breathing and he could see the white at the bottom of her eyes. But when he picked her up, he saw that her head was bleeding very badly and he tried as hard as he could to put pressure on it to stop the bleeding, but it was to no avail. Her skull was fractured in several places. Her brain was badly bruised and bleeding and she had bitten right through her tongue and both lungs had ruptured. So her spine was shattered at the T6 and T7 vertebrae, which is basically right in line with your chest. And there was a fist-shaped knot of bone that had exploded through her back. And so fortunately, Sam was unconscious for all of this and didn't even know what happened or felt a thing. She doesn't remember any of this. But unfortunately, her husband and the boys do. That's something that they'll have to do remember forever but she was rushed to the hospital 
and where she stayed for seven months in rehabilitation. They were able to save her, but she was told that she would never walk again. And she said that you would think that the lowest moment of her life would be when she fell or was the lowest moment of her life the day that she was told that she could never walk again. She said that the worst day of her life was seven months later when they left rehabilitation facility. And she said that one of her favorite memories is of her husband carrying her through the doorway of their home on their wedding day, Mm -hmm. you know, but then this day, seven months later, when he carried her through the door on the day that she returned home, she just felt like it was, as she put it, this practical gesture seemed unbearably cruel. You know, she said that the house that she once remembered in her mind, it wasn't her home anymore. She was grieving who she was for who she is now, now that she's in a wheelchair and she, she just said that nothing felt right and she felt like she didn't belong. Yeah. And I know she said she just felt so removed from all the people in her life. Like it made her, her husband became a single parent essentially and a full-time nurse. Mm -hmm. And she said that even her children had to look after her. In the podcast, she said that one of the hardest things that crushed her was when she heard her children say when her husband had left and she needed one of her children to get something for her and she heard them say in the other room like you help mommy I helped her last time oh yeah I'm just feeling like such a burden and she said that she was no longer the independent woman that she was before you know yeah and she became bitter distraught angry jealous she said everything that she despised the um opposite of the active happy person that she once was and her routine had become a death spiral that she would couldn't sleep and that she would just cry in the shower where the boys couldn't hear her or see her. And she constantly thought about suicide. She said in her mind, she was already dead. Mm. Oh, it's just so awful. And not only it was it so obviously so hard on her, it was like her children were having a very hard time with it. Her oldest, Noah blamed himself. I think Noah was oldest. I'm not sure, but he apparently blamed himself because apparently he was the one that said, let's go drink our juice up on the deck. Oh, but it's, no. but they obviously don't blame him right, for it, you but know, still, but it's still just like so heartbreaking. And, and her husband Cameron, you know, he said he was always in action. He never, you know, he was always, he said that he didn't listen to the radio. Like, for months and months because like it, it or or watch TV because his mind was always thinking like what do I need to get I need to buy this I need to do this I need to get this and you know what I mean yeah but he you know loved his wife so much and he said that even though she was in such pain and and depression he just knew that he had to just keep telling her that she, he loved her and that the kids loved her and it was Hard for her too because people would interview her expecting her to be grateful that she lived or that she was an inspirational story, but she didn't feel that way. And she kind of resented that. Like she felt like she couldn't do anything for herself and everyone around her had to do things. And she resented that people wanted her to be like this happy, inspirational story of, but look at, you're alive, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so- 
Then one day, about three months after she was home from rehabilitation, Sam was having lunch at her mother's house with her three boys when a huge gust of wind blew and it blew a tiny bird, um, a little magpie bird out of a giant pine tree. And this bird fell from 60 feet, hitting countless branches on the way down before hitting the pavement. Her son Noah ran over to the bird and the bird was still alive. And so they called several vets, but nobody wanted to take the bird in. And so they decided that they would nurse the bird back to health. And so the boys named the um, this little the bird was like a little fluffy black and white bird, and it was a little floof ball, and oh. so cute. Um, they so they named it Penguin. And so Cam's friend, who is a vet, told them that like you know this is going to be a huge undertaking if you take this on. That bird needs constant supervision, right? And it would need to be fed every two hours like a baby. But they were up for the challenge, especially Sam. Sam said, suddenly I had something to do. I didn't feel as useless anymore. And her instincts as a nurse and mother were revived when she had this little tiny bird to take care of. Right. You know, she said that she would talk to the bird and she would sing to it. She said that the bird knew all of her secrets. (laughs) (laughs) So at first, Penguin would sleep inside, like Penguin lived in the house. But after a while, all they said all the poop got to be too much. <laughs> so <laughs> it eventually would sleep outside, but it would come in and out throughout the day. Like this bird behaved very much like a dog. Yeah. And as they referred to it, they said that she was a hybrid. She was like part bird, part dog. Like the bird would lay on its back in the bed with you and snuggle with you and it like and it eventually learned to sing and it would say like when it needed certain they learned to know the bird's songs like when it wanted to be let in when it wanted to be fed when it wanted to cuddle and so Uh, Taking care of Penguin not only gave Sam a sense of purpose, but it was a great project and distraction for the whole family because it brought everybody back together and brought joy into the home again. And the home again, like once had life, you know? Yeah. And, And now their life wasn't just about her accident anymore. Uh, accident anymore. Uh, life was about this amazing little bird that they were all as a family nursing back to health. And so as the bird got stronger and learned to fly, so did Sam. You know, she was always a sporty person and very athletic, you know, yeah. but and she wanted to have a release like that, but she couldn't think of anything that she could still do, you know, because she was paralyzed from the chest down. Right. But um, when a sports therapist from her rehab facility suggested kayaking, she thought this could work. Yeah. And at first she was a little wobbly, you know, but she quickly fell in love with the sport. On the water is where she felt free. She wasn't in her wheelchair. She wasn't – oh, she was away from everybody else because she was constantly having to be taken care of. Right. And she could just soar and move and – be free and she was reliant on no one else when she's out on the water and she felt strong again and so quickly she became very good at it and um she ended up competing in the world championship and became 12th in the country yeah and just as she was going to leave to compete in milan which was a big deal because she used to travel a lot you know and now she's she's 
getting to travel again yeah. um, for the sport. But right as she was leaving for Milan, penguins started to fly further and further away. You know, the they, the the bird would leave and come back and leave and come back. And all of the town knew about this bird because right. it was so special. And they would get a call like, oh, the um, penguins down at the laundromat and then right. <laughs> cam would go and drive and pick her up and and the bird would sit on the steering wheel while he drove her home <laughs> and he would do that a, a couple of times but over time she just never returned but sam said that you know by the time that penguin was ready to go make her home in the wild and start her own family she, Sam, had won two national kayaking titles, was bound for the world championship in Italy as part of a member of the Australian para canoe team. And she said, you know, more importantly, she was her own person again with new dreams and new reason to smile for the first time since the accident, she felt truly alive. So it was like this penguin came into their life like an angel at the exact time that they needed it. It was as if Sam and Penguin were parallel. And as the two made each other strong, they both became strong again and learned to soar at the same time. Not only was it Penguin that, you know, helped her become strong again, obviously it was the love and support of her husband and boys. And Sam told told Coast Beat, Cam has been incredible from the moment it happened. He has had to put up with a lot from me, but has never wavered in his support, compassion, or positivity. It blows my mind, actually. Um, And so while sometimes it's difficult for Sam to see silver linings, uh, she, um, you know, because she does miss her her pre-accident life, you know, and her and her independence, she does acknowledge that one of the best things to come from her story being widely known is hearing from people all over the world who thank her for giving them strength and making them feel less alone. So I, I, I feel like I do need to say that that last line that I read, I didn't mean mm-hmm. to read it verbatim, but I read it verbatim from the article for Coast Beat. So yeah, <laughs> those somebody else's words. But um, so um, but apparently a lot of people have reached out to her that have struggled with you know MS or spinal cord injuries and yeah. sending her words of gratitude and love. So one woman from Australia sent. Sam a package with a a really nice letter and some jewelry. Um, And she was trying to encourage Sam to take up surfing again because Sam uh, had loved surfing since she was Mm -hmm. a child. She obviously did that before her accident. And the woman that sent the letter was, um, her name was Nola Wilson, who's the mother of champion surfer Julian Wilson, who's currently second in the world rankings, apparently. So um, because she sees how much joy surfing brings to her son she knew that this joy would oh she knew that this sport would bring that kind of joy and fulfillment to sam yeah so sam so sam was inspired to start surfing surfing again and in august 2018 sam was selected as a member of the australian adaptive surf team and won gold and bronze medals in the women's and open division um, at the 2018 World Adaptive Surfing Championship in California. Holy shit. Yeah, chills. This what story is like amazing yeah, woman. Amazing. And not only that, but Cam being a photographer put out this beautiful book, not only a photography book, but it's, it's also the story of 
of them and and their situation. And the book is called Penguin Bloom. And the photos were photos that Cameron had taken of the family with Penguin. And they're all just gorgeous mm-hmm. pictures. But it was written by a friend and renowned author, Bradley Trevor Grieve. When he wrote it, he wrote it in Cameron's voice. But then there's also a letter at the end of the book written in Sam's voice. So on the podcast, they talked about how like Sam having, you know, would have to talk to Bradley to tell him her story and how she feels. And, and that became a source of therapy for her because she would talk to him just for hours at a time. And she felt like she could say things to him that she couldn't say to her family. And it was just another- I imagine that there's a lot of layers with your family you feel, right? Like she has all the feelings. That's, I mean, you, you already said that, but yeah, that's, um, that's so that's amazing. Yeah. So it's just another way that this little penguin, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this magpie named Penguin, continued to help Sam. And so they have an Instagram account. It's really cute. It's called, um, and it's got a bajillion followers. It's a huge sensation. It's called at Penguin the Magpie. So you can see all the pictures there. But and you could also buy this book called Penguin Bloom, and it's available on anywhere, but also you can see it on their websites at sambloom.com. But the book is now soon to be a major Hollywood movie. So see, it sounds like a movie. It is a starring Naomi Watts and Andrew Lincoln. And it's going to be produced by Bruna, Pump Andrea, and Emma Cooper. So that is the and I'm, I'm excited to see um what else she can conquer and she yeah. what she will conquer in life because she's such an amazing woman and her family is amazing but yeah that is my love story for this I week love it. all right are you ready to do something dumb and something we love sure let's do it you start okay well as you well know I've been on vacation. <laughs> so that's, that's so dumb. So dumb. Vacation's dumb. No. Uh, vacation's amazing. I love that. I love my family and uh, friends that I got to see and experience and have uh, two weeks away from my house. That was great. I'm also happy to be back at my house. Um, so I love all that. But here's something that's dumb. I So every year when we do this lake vacation – we do a thing called Lake Olympics, which Oh, yeah. Is, I remember yeah. you talking about Lake Olympics. Left. Yeah. So we do – yeah, we do like just, you know, whatever dumb events. Like we do like a – you have to sit on an, a noodle, like a, you know, like a pool noodle and race, like do a noodle race. We do um, like who can dive the longest, who can throw a football into a float, just like dumb things like that. I always lose. But we do it the last day and it's super fun. And so we were the last day we were at the lake, we were returning this boat because we had taken, borrowed the boat from Aaron's parents. And even though we were staying in another house, so we were taking the boat back and we were swimming a little bit in their cove. And snakes. I, no, not snakes. I was like on the dock. So we were going to take the boat back and then we were going to do Lake Olympics in the afternoon. So um, I'm on the dock and I was like, walking on the dock and the kids had had popsicles earlier and they there was just some that like you know melted and I slipped on popsicle <gasps> and I fucking tore up the bottom of my foot uh. like so where it was just like blood everywhere and Aaron oh, looked God. at it I mean luckily I had a doctor on call yeah but she's like oh like her expression I was like oh is it bad she's like 
I mean, so anyway, so I'm like, had a, I, I had to cancel Lake Olympics because my stupid foot. And now I can't go in any water for two weeks. Oh, because of brain eating amoebas. Yeah, because it's like so deep. The cuts. Oh god! And I can like barely walk because the whole bottom of my foot's bruised. Like it's in between two toes. I don't want to be. It made me feel like I was gonna faint. But um, but yeah. So it was like such a bummer. It was like the first time in whatever I don't know, fifteen years that we haven't done Lake Olympics. And, you know, they were like, you know, lots of things have been canceled, just like the regular Olympics this year. So we're just going to take a year <laughs> off and my stupid cut in my toe. Dang, so that was bummed. nice of them to uh, wait for you. I would have been like, I told well, them to go ahead. sitting out. <laughs> yeah. I think they were just like, I, yeah, it seems <laughs> just not. I think maybe, yeah, we, we do love it. But we also were at a different house, so it was going to be different that way you know i think we just were like it's not the same let's just we'll just hold it we'll hold it yeah. next year hopefully so oh, anyway man. that's You'll the get dumb thing next year so that's a dumb thing in the like i mean it's it's still great i was at lakes for two weeks and it happened on the last day so oh yeah it's okay, it's okay. all right tell me your thoughts. um well my I guess something dumb this week is if you can't tell my voice is very raspy and not in a cool smelly cat way. Um, <laughs> it's just because I my I have no voice. I like acid reflux, man. It's like fucking bitch. It is a fucking bitch. Can't and you've been dealing anything. with this. I can't weeks. even talk anymore. Yeah, and so um. Oh my god, you're gonna get so skinny. <laughs> No, that's the thing. No, I'm, I'm not even losing kidding. weight. <laughs> if anything, I'm like more bloated for some reason. It's so fucked. It's so, so fucked. Anyway, but um, but you know, I have other other than that, I have my health and happiness. It's just Good. a little minor setback. Mm-hmm. But um, something that I love is, um, you know, I always have trouble sleeping. But I, I found this new podcast. It's called Sleep Cove. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you heard nice. of it? It's no. a podcast, and they do like sleep hypnosis. Hypnosis? <laughs> hypnosis. <laughs> hypnosis. Hypnosis. Uh, and the guy just has like, it's totally one of those like ASMR voices. And he does these, he's got a bit of an accent, and he does these guided, he does like, Summer, he's reading stories, and then summer, he's doing meditations, and then summer, like, hypnotizing or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, dude, they work. It works Sleep in 20 minutes, dude. I fall asleep. Like, I've been using it for, like, the past four days, and it works like a charm. And I think it's, like, getting in my brain because it's hypnotizing me to be, like, um, positive and grateful. Ooh. So, uh, in the next day, I'm a little less... Bitchy to everybody. <laughs> Thank God, because we were really all about to talk to you about it. <laughs> a little nicer. Thank you, Sleep Cove. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad to talk to you, Jen. Glad I to talk to you while you I was too. gone. I know it. Um, forever for you to come back. I know. I'm sorry. And all I want to do is leave again. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And hey, if you are excited to have us back, but you want to hear more mm-hmm. content, you can't stand for the next week, uh, join us on Patreon. We have bonus episodes and videos and all sorts of fun stuff over there. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us your love stories or anything really, just questions, whatever you want to say, um, at dumblovepod at gmail.com. And we love you guys. We do love you guys. Thanks for listening. And I think you can go outside with the mask on. Be cool about it. Be cool, man. And get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum dum.